What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We have a a phenomenal repeat guest with us today. Our good friend Scott Motts. Uh, we've talked to him before, but you know we we got back in contact and and we were chit chatting back and forth, and it was just time for episode number two with Scott Motts. So he is our guest for today. One of my personal favorites, Tim. I know you really enjoy talking to him as well. So in the episode, he talks about. Um, really what motivated him to transition out of corporate life. He had a a very long and successful career in corporate life. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, I highly recommend uh, going back and doing so. Uh, We do reference a few things in this episode from that one too. But again, it's a nice recap. So uh, after his motivation for leaving corporate and just kind of doing things his own way and starting his own company to provide a different type of value, uh, he talks about tips for people finding inspiration in their work. You know, if you're waking up and you're not you know, inspired to do what you're about to go do for the whole day, and that's what you're doing every day for however many years. Um, you know, he talks about how to reignite that fire, maybe find a new fire and, and see what can really jazz you up and get you ready going, ready and going every single day. Uh, then he talks about the importance of middle managers, and that's really the crux of our conversation and what is uh, what his book, Leading from the Middle, is based on, and that is middle management. Um, you know, that's leading up, down, and across uh, from the middle. And that's really what companies thrive on, but is what is overlooked by companies as well, is that middle management. So he really hammers home the importance of that. So if you are a middle manager, especially, this episode is for you. Tim, what else do we get into with our good friend Scott today? Yeah, I, I always enjoy talking to Scott. When, when we brought him on for uh, for episode 110, that was the first one he did with us. It was a good conversation, and we picked right back up where we left off. And I feel like no, no matter what we do in life, it's a people business. Whether we're working for a corporation, whether we're doing our own thing, it all starts with people and how people are motivated. And I think he gave really good insights onto how to how to really get the most out of people. How whether you're a manager, uh, whether you're I mean a middle manager, how can you get the most out of your people? And he really goes into that. Um, he talks about like what middle managers can do to kind of redefine the goal setting process with their employees, like um, how how to kind of set better expectations for performance. Um, he talks about how you can um, fit multiple roles within an organization, um, but also like keep your personality behind it as well and kind of how to intertwine the two. Um, he talks about three ways on how to handle disagreement with your boss. Cause I feel like maybe once in a while that'll happen with you. If you yeah, may disagree yeah, with something. So, um, he talks about the, the, the right way to kind of approach that and have a meaningful conversation with your boss about something you may not seem, see eye to eye on. Um, he talks about how to give and handle feedback. Um, and talks about the best ways to just lead. Um, and I, I really enjoyed this conversation with Scott and, um, whether you are a middle manager, whether you're just, you lead people in general. It, I mean, don't, don't feel like you need to pigeon your whole pigeonhole into being a middle manager, but, um, he does speak about a lot of things in here on how, on how to be a good leader overall. Mm-hmm. So, um, really try to squeeze as much as you can out of this episode. And I know you guys are going to enjoy, uh, enjoy everything he has to say. So without further ado, episode 159, Scott Mounts. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for you guys reaching back out. And I saw who she's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm with Scott Moss. I'm like, oh, Tim, we're having Scott back on the show. Yeah, so we we've been super excited to to have this one. Yeah, so thanks for reaching out and uh, taking time to hang with us today. Yeah, yeah, you bet. I had a lot of fun last time. You guys, I remember you guys. You had just a very natural flow, and I kind of dig what you guys are about. You know, the like just 
helping people get off the unstuck path. And if, you know, just if you're curious, just pursuing what's right for you. And I know you do a lot more than that, but mm. I thought yeah. I'd, I'd find a good way to, you know, today talk about how I paved my own path in this new book I'm, that I'm writing a, a topic that nobody writes about. So I thought that'd be a good entree. Um, yeah, absolutely. Consistent yeah. with what your, your podcast is about. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, Cause yeah, that your new book comes out in uh, May. <laughs> yeah. May? Yeah. It just, uh, it just started uh, selling uh, uh, two days ago. Um, a pre-order pretty excited. It went straight to number one in Amazon uh, in, wow. in its category. So I'm pretty excited about it. So yeah, I'm just excited to have a chance to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Again, we really appreciate you coming on. I think I guess where we can start is obviously besides you moving out to California, what, since the last time we spoke, what's, what's been going on in your life? What, what have been the biggest changes for you? What, what have you been up to? Yeah, I'd say uh, I'd start with the uh, health. I, I had an awesome chance of having uh, uh, double hip replacement surgery, which is, you know, <laughs> just go get it. I mean, cause it's fun. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Even if you don't need it, just get it preventatively in case you're going to need and, yeah. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. So I had double hip replacement surgery and uh, that's wow. been incredibly life-changing. You know, it's changed for me, uh, you know, the ability to, to exercise in new ways to, you know, I actually go walking on the beach. Now it's walking. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I made that term up. I don't even know if it's a thing, but yeah. it, it is, it is now. It is now. Yeah. I use my uh, walking sticks and I go walking on the beach. So yeah. So health has been great. Um, and, you know, just super excited about, um, the, my profession, you know, I'm a pro keynote speaker. It's been a very interesting year, guys, as you can imagine in, the, in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens when the whole world evaporates from an event standpoint and you have right. to adjust along with it. So I've had a lot of fun uh, creating a studio at home and becoming higher mm -hmm. tech. And I'm sure over the, over the years, you guys have learned in your own podcast, you know, you've probably gotten higher tech and learned more how to produce and uh, do things. I've had to, you know, do all that in a hurry and created this studio so that I could do keynotes virtually. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really interesting journey over the last year. You know, you either pivot or die sometimes. Right. Right. And so I really had to be able to pivot uh, professionally <laughs> to be able to, to do that. And I have my uh, new book that just came out two days ago, leading from the middle, but very, very excited about that. It's uh, a book about uh, the forgotten people, the people in the middle, right? Most books are about CEOs or people on the front lines, uh, the new hires and, this is about, uh, you know, the people in the middle. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. So I've been really working hard at getting the word out about that book because I think it's some of my best uh, work. And also, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, uh, my, uh, I'm at that interesting stage in my life now where my wife and I are about to become uh, empty nesters. Uh, my daughter's yeah. <laughs> leaving for college in uh, not to, let's see, we're, it's going to be just a few months. Wow. And just like that, it'll be just my wife and I. And so uh, that'll be a new phase of our life. And uh, so all in all, though, Things are, things are well. We've been fortunate not to have any losses in our uh, family due to this uh, stinking virus. Yeah. And like everybody else, we're waiting for lockdown to end so we can get back to living our lives. So yeah, hope, you, hope you guys have been faring well. <laughs> yeah, yeah Indy, um, Indy's not too bad. Uh, we're open for the most part. I mean, just, you know, wearing your mask when you need to, like to your table, whatever. Other than that, I, I think most people are just ready, you know, just kind of over it where it's okay. I feel like we have a good grasp on things and let business do business and take the precautions. And so, yeah, I think Indiana's kind of on the up and up in terms of that. We're no Texas, but you know, <laughs> you know Texas. Yeah. yeah, good. You know, and I, I meant to uh, sincerely congratulate you guys in that you guys have accomplished something 
against the odds that you probably don't, you're, I don't even know if you're really aware of, but I've seen unbelievable statistics on the amount of podcasters that just don't stick with it. Mm. They just try it. And then, you know, maybe after three, four months, I think I read something the other day that there's 1.4 million podcasts on Apple and 60% of them haven't updated a new episode in the last year. Wow. And it just goes to show you that, you know, you guys are sticking at it and putting out good content on a regular basis. I don't know. I, what are you guys up to? Like you're approaching 200 episodes now. Is that right? Yeah. So I think next week's will be 157. And then yeah. I think yours will be 159 or 160. So we did have um, towards kind of like last quarter of 2020, Tim and I probably took one to two months we each had to get our own businesses kind of oh, in, in order. Yeah. 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 You know, and, but to us, it's like, Oh man, we don't have an episode one to two months, but we were kind of getting yeah our own houses and businesses in order, you know, stuff that is cool. paying the bills. So yeah, we, we had a couple months hiatus, but you know, we're back doing weeklies and more interviews and it's, it's cool. We have more guests reaching out to us than we're doing reaching out. Like we still reach out to people to be on the show, but we've had a, a bigger influx of, of emails and DMS and people finding us, which is, that's really cool. Like that's a lot of fun when word spreads enough of, Hey, sorry, you guys did this show with this person. I actually know this person via X, Y, Z. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. We appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I I have a a friend who uh, is, I won't bore you with how is related to um, uh, the Apple podcasting group um, like in Cupertino. And he was telling me that this, the single biggest piece where he talks a lot, he gives a lot of uh, podcasting uh, keynotes to podcasters, mm. the how to's. Okay. And he says the number one piece of advice he always gives them is don't underestimate the power of consistency. Mm-hmm. And people, they're just looking for, if you have a lot of episodes, that must mean you have something worth listening to. And it's kind of like um, uh, he, he ties it to, you ever like you, you want to binge watch a show on Netflix and if you find out they only did a season of it, you're probably not going to engage, right? Because you're like, well, yeah, eight, nine episodes, that might be good, but there must have been something wrong with it. Or I want to be mm-hmm. more invested if I'm going to put my time in. You said it's the yeah. same type of thing. When people see lots of episodes, you can't underestimate like the power just of that. So, you know, yeah, so mm-hmm. what? So yeah. you don't That's have, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson on your podcast. <laughs> You're not, not Joe yet. Rogan and you can't just call up your celebrity A-list. Right. But there's a lot to be said for, you know, that consistency. So, so good for you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate that. that. Appreciate yeah. That. And it's, it's easy when it's fun. Like we have a good time doing it. <laughs> you know, if one of us having a down day, like we record feel better and it's just, good. yeah, it's therapeutic in its own way too. Yeah. Wait, what, what are you guys uh, businesses individually? Tim? What do you guys? Yeah. So I do like a, <clears throat> like a career coaching business. So I, I write, awesome. re, I write resumes, cover letters. I do LinkedIn uh, makeovers for people. And I, I, I've added like interview prep and kind of job search help as kind of a supplement to that. So yeah, I was, um, I've been doing that for a while now. It's kind of like a side hustle. Um, and then right. I was, I was running the marketing for a property management company, but it was getting to the point where I was enjoying the resume writing a lot more. It was a lot meaningful to help people kind of achieve their goals and, I was having to turn clients away because I didn't have enough time to do it. So I mean, that's the point where I just, I made the jump uh, back last November and have been doing it this full time ever since. And yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Met a lot Good of interesting you, people. Man. Yeah. Awesome. And wait, so you're, I always get, are you, you're Colin or Tim? 
I'm Tim. It's Colin. Yep. So Tim and Colin, and what's yep. your business? What do you do? On so the I do uh, health coaching and rehabilitation. So I awesome. have uh, my practice is inside of a CrossFit gym. So I do a lot nice. of nutrition coaching, uh, movement correction, movement rehab. So using movements and, and exercises to fix pain. Um, so I do a lot of that. Yeah. And then Tim and I each do freelance writing on the side, you know, on the side of our sides. So yeah, we, we, we write a lot. And then I'm with a nanotechnology company that does CBD. We have a CBD wellness cream too. So right on. that's kind of a newer thing I'm, I'm into. And I think that'll be, that's a golden goose. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> we, we have our, our hands in a few things. I think we're each going to acquire our first uh, real estate properties this year as well oh, and, nice. and start. Yeah. Cause we're both super intrigued by real estate just kind of love everything going on with that. So that's our next, uh, next venture to tackle. So. Love it. Love it. Love it. No, yeah. no corporate boringness for you guys, right? No, we we've done it, tried it. You know, we appreciate the people who do it, but not yeah, our stick. Here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause yep. um, I'm sure we'll just give people a quick background. You were with those P and G right for. Yeah. 25, almost 25 years. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. That's a part of why I was so interested in writing this book. What mm -hmm. I learned along the way, but yeah, yeah. I was, I spent a long time, you know, but appreciate it, appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. And it just, I, I had enough of it. You know, I was ready to, to produce, you know, pursue the gig economy like you guys are. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, it's got its own blessings and curses, but it's definitely yes, nicer. When it does. It's on you. Yeah. So yeah, let's uh, maybe get into it. Uh, maybe just but, quick, quick background on, uh, and I also, um, I'm trying to remember, I gave you the ability to record as well, if you want to record, oh, so cool. you have it on your okay. end too. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, quick background. And then let's jump into the book, Leading from the Middle. I know Deb sent us some questions. Tim and I will always have our questions to interject. So we'll just get a nice little flow going. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about all the middle managing and leading from the middle and all the good stuff. Okay, cool. So just, just to make sure, I want to make sure I add value that's relevant mm -hmm. to your audience and the brand you guys are trying to build. So my thought was, Colin and Tim, that, um, yeah, of course, you get guests on and they want to talk about their book. Yeah, of course. That's like, that's how this works. And so, I'm, of course, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to give, you know, a, a, a chance for your listeners to have get some free downloads at the end but awesome. I just want to make sure, you know, I wanted to approach this from, you know, paving, paving a different path that everybody writes about CEOs. And, you know, there's a lot of obvious things nobody writes about that chunk in the middle that are the backbone of the company. And I wanted to use that. Is that the right way into the brand you guys are trying to build here, which is you're looking for stories about um, people that pave their own path? Yeah, like what's what's the best way in that it ties to your brand so that i'm not just some random guy talking about middle managers <laughs> yeah i would just say people finding meaning in their work because we, we yeah. understand that our audience like not everyone's going to be a business owner who listens to us there are people right. who work at, at corporations and, yeah. and work as as managers and they might feel stuck in their own their own role and maybe they could read your book or learn more about what you have to say and find inspiration into what they do and, yeah. and, and make a meaningful impact at their company. And maybe yeah. even learn about their company's own middle management. It's like, Oh, this isn't going that well in hindsight. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, maybe it'll give some insights to that too. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of run along, but yeah, I think that's okay, a good cool. start is getting into there and yeah, paving your own way. Okay, good. Just want to make sure I was on your brand. Okay, cool. Yeah, appreciate it. 
Yeah. So um, you were at PNG uh, about 25 years, got out of that. You do keynote speaking. You're an author. Um, so maybe just quick how you got out of PNG, decided you wanted to pave your own way. And then, yeah, I'd love to talk about that leading from the middle. I think that's, uh, to your point, the people who really support a company is the nitty gritty of the middle. So we'd love yeah. to kind of track into that as well. Yeah, you bet. Well, I, I left, uh, I was lucky enough to have a great career at PNG for almost 25 years. And, you know, Colin and Tim, in, in the end, I just found that what I was really drawing meaning from was the work along the way, rather than the end process of being in corporate, you know, the work along the way of helping others become the best version of themselves. You know, I found trying to be the leader that other folks could look up to. I wanted to be the leader that people look back on and said, you know, when I was in that guy's shop, man, it made a difference. And I found myself, you know, my happiest and I found myself producing the best work of my life. I, I found myself at my most self-confident. I learned over time, Colin and Tim, that that's what really drew me, not just delivering the business results, which was what was you know, important as well. And, you know, I did that well with my team, but I became so drawn to this other calling, this idea of creating meaning for people in their work, for helping them to figure out how to foster meaning in the work that they do and at the place that they do the work that I, I just, I couldn't, I guess, resist the siren call anymore to leave and get out and teach people what I had, I had learned. I actually wrote my first book while I was still at Procter and Gamble called make it matter about, uh, and I had a chance to talk with you guys about that. Not so long ago. Um, it's about, you know, fostering meaning at work as, as a leader. And uh, I just, I found that that's, was my mission and really, really what I wanted to do. And it led me to being a speaker and author and a keynote uh, today. And it's led up to this, this next project. I don't know if you, you want me to jump into my next project now. Let's, let's jump right in. Yeah. So I'm, I'm uh, so glad to be here to, to talk to you and your listeners about how my journey brought me to this latest project. Uh, I have a, a brand new book coming out. It's called uh, Leading from the Middle, a playbook for how managers can influence up, down, and across the organization. And I felt like there's an opportunity for me to pave kind of a different path here, guys, a more meaningful path, because, you know, I don't have to tell your listeners, most books that come out on leadership, they're, they're written for the CEOs up at the top and the C-suite, you know, how to grind your way to the top and get to be the absolute best and to dominate, you know, world domination as a CEO. <laughs> Or there's a swath of books for people that have just started out and how do you get off to a fast start? And nobody writes about middle managers because it's not sexy in theory, right? And the term middle management in and of itself is even a little bit derogatory, right? Like you've read Dilbert cartoons where they poke fun at middle management or you've seen the show The Office and Steve Carell is like <laughs> the nightmare middle manager of all middle managers. And so middle management has gotten a bad rap over the years. And, you know, I wanted to carve a different path for what I was trying to do and, and, and create some meaningful output based on what are really the heroes of any organization, any organization, it doesn't have to be a business or even for profit, you know, in a middle manager is anybody who has a boss and is a boss and has to lead up, down and across their organization. And I found this huge unmet need of people crying out for a huge part of meaning in our work comes from a sense of competency and self-esteem. And I just found so many people in the middle were hungering for help because it is really tough to have to lead up to your boss, 
to have to show up as confident and lead down to your employees, which is a different skill set. And then, oh, by the way, have to influence people over that don't even report to you across, you know, across teams and into different peers. So there's this huge unmet need to be able to, you know, answer the call to give that person in the middle, the backbone of any organization, real help. And that's what I'm trying to do with uh, this book, um, Leading from the Middle. And, you know, in terms of, I mean, I, I think I've struck a nerve. Um, it recently uh, launched it. Uh, it's for pre-orders. The book comes out May 18th and it went straight to number one on Amazon in its category. So I think that I don't share that as a brag at all. You know, humility is a core value of mine. I share that to say that I think we, I've struck a really meaningful nerve here that I'm already getting notes from people saying, yes, where has this been? Why hasn't anybody written about the middle manager? Is it because of the, the bad mojo around the term or not? So I feel like I'm on something meaningful and I get a real chance to live my passion here through the book, guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And to your point, I think you are on onto something where most people in corporate America, this is where they land. You know, they're, they're in the middle. The truth. And, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's like, oh, what's going wrong? Why is this, you know, not meaningful? What, you know, is it a me thing? Is it, you know, everyone says, oh, it's my boss, my boss, my boss. And sure, maybe a lot of the times, yes. Uh, but, you know, it's also how you have helped people kind of find their fire again and meaning in the work that they do where they do the work. So yeah, I think uh, you you found a really incredible niche that a lot of people need. Definitely, I, I hope so. And I find you know people in middle management they undervalue themselves. You know, I I did uh, research with over three thousand successful middle managers. Um, boy, you know, studies, focus groups, research, survey, you name it. I've been studying this for a very long time, and you know, it blew me away. Check this out, Colin and Tim. In any organization, on average, twenty five percent of the revenue that that organization produces, if it's a for-profit company, 25% of it can be explained by the quality of the middle manager. Three times more than that attributed to a person whose sole job is to innovate for the company. Wow. Right, so you're talking about an undervalue, a five-year Stanford study showed that people, that replacing a poor middle manager with a good middle manager is more valuable than adding another worker to a team. So I feel like, you know, you know, a lot in the book where I talk about is I try to help people understand what's so difficult about leading from the middle, which I'll talk about in a moment, but to start by appreciating and taking pride in their role, because the statistics back it up, that the middle managers are the key to any organization. They are the lifeblood to any organization. And it makes sense when you think about it, right? They have the closest access Mm -hmm. to the leaders from the top who pass down the strategies. They're the closest to the employees who they have to retain in the organization and they're in the middle. They have the access across more than anyone else to understand how the culture of the place is working. So, you know, a part of my mission is also to get middle managers to stop undervaluing themselves. Mm. Now, when you first started this um, journey of dissecting the middle ground, what were some things that, you know, maybe PNG and not that we need to throw anyone under the bus, although it's off the <laughs> dome, we sure can, if you'd like to, um, what were some, some things that you saw maybe experienced good and or bad that told you, okay, I have a fix for this, yeah. but other people aren't seeing this. And I'm sure there's a lot of relatability with 
with stuff you experienced and saw that can go across the board to pretty much anyone in any type of corporation. So what were some of the the good and bad that drove you to uh, start leading from the middle? Super question. You know, and what I want to start with is if I can, Mm -hmm. I began to notice at P&G why it is so challenging to lead from the middle. And again, not just, you know, corporations, guys, I'm talking about any organization. It started getting me interested in studying this. And what, what I discovered is there's, there's really a core set of reasons of why it's so difficult. And because it's so difficult, why people needed my help. So in the book, I talk about the acronym SCOPE, S-C-O-P-E. The, the, the difficulties of the middle manager can be broken down into the letters SCOPE. And I started observing this at PNG, and I'll go through this very quickly. So first of all, what I started seeing, it's been confirmed over and over and over again in my research across other companies. First, the S in SCOPE is, there's a self-identity problem in the middle when you manage in the middle. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. There's one of the biggest reasons you get exhausted working in an organization is because of what neuroscientists call micro switching, which means all day long, especially when they're in the middle, you're switching hats. And if you guys have been in corporate roles, you know what I'm talking about. From one moment, you'll go from a deferential stance with your boss. And then in an instant, you're in a more aggressive, authoritative, assertive mode with your employees. And then in an instant, you're switching to a collaborative mode with your peers. And this constant switching and the number of roles you have to play exhausts us. And it causes us to step back and say, well, who am I really? I, I, I move from role to role. It's exhausting me. I'll be in one moment where I have tremendous autonomy. And then in the next moment, I feel like I'm just a cog in the wheel where everything I do doesn't really add up to anything. And you go back and forth and back and forth, and it's a self-identity problem. Who am I and what role do I have? I also began noticing, you know, the C the, in, you know, scope, which is middle managers face conflict more than any other part of a company, which makes sense, right? When you're in the middle, what's so unique about that? Well, you have conflict up, down, across, you're caught in the middle. I saw the O start to happen in scope, which is O stands for omnipotence, meaning middle managers are expected to know everything. The CEO and the higher, you know, C-level execs, they don't have, sometimes it's a badge of pride, guys, to not know things. You could say, well, my organization is going to take care of that, right? And if you're on the front lines, you know, you're a new employee, you're not expected to know everything because you're too new. But when you're in the middle, your market share is down in Peoria, you better know why. And it creates a lot of pressure. You know, then I discovered the P in, and this might throw you away in scope, uh, really or throw you off. But the P stands for the physical challenges that I began to see middle managers really engaged in. And, you know, especially with, uh, you know, Tim, your side uh, business, or uh, uh, sorry, Colin, your side business, you might be able to appreciate this. I began to dig into the physical challenges that happened to, to middle managers that happened because of the stress. Hmm. So check this out. I came across a study um, conducted um, uh, in England. I call it the monkey in the middle study. Right. You guys remember the game Monkey in the Middle when mm-hmm. you were growing up? Yep. This game of keep away, right? Well, yep. literally, these scientists studied the monkey in the middle. They just they uh, spent 600 hours discover, you know, studying a huge troop of monkeys to try to discern what happens to the patterns of behavior and who are the most stressed out people in the monkey group, right? So they studied all the all of the monkeys in the in the in the monkey organization, the monkey hierarchy. They studied all the behaviors that were aggressive, like slapping and spitting and nurturing behaviors, like grooming. And, and what they found was 
after studying the fecal matter of all the monkeys, and that's a job I'll leave to you guys, I know they're gonna do that, <laughs> to measure stress hormones in the fecal matter, they found that the monkeys that were the most physically stressed in the monkey universe were the monkeys that were right in the middle of the hierarchy. Mm. The ones that had to resist pushing up against the dominant monkey, that had to nurture down and had to collaborate as a monkey unit across. That's the same thing that happens to us as physical human beings. We end up in the middle. It's the most stressful place to be. Check this out. Another study of over 320,000 employees that we were involved in showed that the bottom 5% in any organization in terms of people that are disengaged and unhappy, the bottom 5% are not the worst performers. They're not people that are discover they're in the wrong job and they need a new career. The bottom 5% in terms of unhappy and unengaged are people that have been in the company five to 10 years and have good performance ratings Wow! because they're in the middle and they're stressed out physically. And I saw a lot of that, not only in P&G across all my studies, and then just to round this out, a very long answer to a simple question, to round out the SCOPE acronym, I also saw just emotionally, the E in scope, emotionally, what also makes leading from the middle so challenging is that it's lonely. Mm. And if you think about it, you know, for if you've ever been in a position where you have a boss and are a boss, you're not really part of anyone's group. You can't be too close to your boss because you're a suck up. You can't be too close to your employees because that leads to real trouble. You might have some friend groups across you know, the organization, but it's hard to maintain them because you don't get to see them enough, especially now in a remote work from world, you know, work from home world. So it's emotionally very lonely. So a long answer to your question, Tim, I began to see this scope as COP of unique problems that the middle managers began to suffer, you know, suffer from. And it really drove me to want to be able to write this book and do something to help them about, about all those issues I discussed. Mm. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I, like I, can't, I can't think of one thing that isn't relatable across all fields of, of work environments, right. no matter the type of work. That's, yeah, I like that a lot. So what advice would you give to someone who is like the very first thing, like if they're struggling to find inspiration in their work, they're, <laughs> I think yeah. the, the first thing you, I think you said, uh, you don't feel competent. They don't feel like inspired. I think you said, That's right. how, how can That's someone right. kind of overcome that? What's it seems like a big task at first. Like people think, <laughs> Oh, I'm so, I'm so dug deep into this, but what's a small, like actionable thing someone can do like today to kind of yes. move that direction. Here's, here is the, Super cool thing I found in my research. You know, and I, guys, I've been at this for studying this topic for more than 15 years, but in particular, in the last two years, I found something really, really important that I have to share with your listeners that the most successful middle managers, they take all of the scope as COP of, of the unique challenges that I just described, right? That feels like, okay, Scott, what do I do about that? They all understand that it's important to mentally reframe the way they view their role as an opening starting point. So here's what I mean. Here's some of the best reframe. So, you know, I talked to a one successful middle manager who he, as he was describing his unique challenges, he didn't realize it, but he basically went through the scope acronym. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, I have so many hats I have to wear. I don't know what I stand for. I'm in conflict all day long. I feel like I have to know everything. I'm always stressed. I'm emotionally lonely. That's scope, right? And I said, okay, well, what do you do about it? 
he was one of many that said, well, I just step back and I reframe and say, okay, wait a minute. What does it mean to be a middle manager? And here's some of the best reframes I heard. The micro transitions that you make all day long, they're actually not segmented. They're integrated. The hundred jobs you add up to do, that adds up to one unique role that you're uniquely suited to do. The very act of putting on multiple hats all day, putting out fires, feeling conflict, feeling lonely, feeling physically stressed. It is almost a privilege to be skilled enough to be able to do that job, that you have to look mm -hmm. at it as an integrated set. That was one reframe. Here's a beautiful one. One woman looked at me and said, how do I handle the scope of problems? It's simple. My job is to think like an engineer and feel like an artist. And it was a mic drop moment because I said, wow, tell me more. And she said, no, 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 no. In the middle, you have to think like an engineer, be process oriented. What am I going to do next? What's the next step? How do we get to success? But at the same time, you have to feel like an artist. You have to have empathy. You have to understand that the middle manager has more chance than any other person in an organization to create meaning for the people around them. That's what art, that's what brings artistry to the job. And that, that stuck with me. Another reframe. Someone said, yeah, how do I deal with all the pressures of being a middle manager? Well, I look at it as simple. I'm the keeper of the long and short-term flame here in the business. My job is to work on the business and in the business. And I see that as a privilege. So all the scope of issues that I have to go through, I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, I'm the keeper of the long and the short-term flame. One last reframe I that I talk about in the book that inspired me is someone said, yeah, yeah, the scope of problems can be overwhelming. But one little thing I tell myself each morning is that I'm the lighthouse and the beacon of this organization. I signal threats. I draw everyone towards opportunities. And only I can do that. It's a powerful duality. So stopping to mentally reframe, like for example, in some of those ways is one very, very powerful thing that you can do to overcome some of the, you know, some of the stress, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. It's great. Yeah, I think that's good of, you know, you'll hear a reframe or try to turn it into a game. Like if you have this many calls, <laughs> how many calls can I get in and out? And, you know, sometimes it's sometimes easier said than done. But I, I like how you said of having the skill set to be able to have that role. And, you know, it's interesting. We talk about wearing different hats. We had a conversation with one guy, Ryan Mickler. Um, his business is Order of Man. And he told us, he's like, you know, I, I don't wear any more than one hat. He goes, the way I talk to you is the way I talk to my wife, my kids, you know, if anyone starts doing business with me. And I think that's interesting too. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, being consistent, but also trying to fit different roles in the workplace? Because people, yeah. I think, should know who they're going to get. Yes. You know, it shouldn't be happy-go-lucky me this day and then, oh, in a drought, just getting steamrolled by everything and emotion. And then you get a short fuse me the next day. So how would you, how do you think going about being able to fit different roles, but staying consistently, you can fit well in that middle management position? Oh, it's, I think it's key. In fact, it, what I often tell people, I talk about this in the book is um, one of the most powerful ways that we can create meaning in our jobs as a middle manager or any level in a company, right? is to find purpose in our work, right? Um, I think that's become a popular enough topic now that many of us know that. A lot of people then ask, okay, I got it. So 
how do I find purpose in my work? And I'm going to tie this to your question in just a mm -hmm. second. Yeah. So how do I find purpose in my work? That sounds like a lofty thing. How do I do that? And what I teach people is one of the easiest places to start to finding your purpose is to start with your values. Values is often a proxy for our higher order purpose and what we're trying to accomplish and what we're here on this planet for. And if you can articulate your values, right? Values, of course, are those little things we do each and every day that exemplify who we are, right? The, the daily little impressions that leave a huge permanent impression. So if you can decide to define your values and live according to them each and every day, now back to your question, that's the consistency that you can apply that comes across in whatever you do. So even mm -hmm. if you wear 100 roles, I agree. You said his name was Ryan, right? Yes. Man? Yep. I agree with Ryan. Even if you play 100 roles in your job, if you can show up, for, for example, for me, a, you know, kindness is a core value of mine. And in my role as an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur and same with you guys, I have 100 hats to wear. I, I guarantee you I'm always going to show up to those roles with kindness. Mm -hmm. So values is the thread for me that allows me to keep my own mental you know, approach of, okay, no matter what, I'm always going to be authentic, genuine me, even if I have to play these different roles. So in a way, you know, I shared a bunch of mental reframes earlier. Values is a consistent reframe that you could say, no matter what happens in this role in middle management, I always had my values to, to go back to, to, to bring me through when, when times are tough. And that's a great unifying factor that you can use as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, so excellent question that I agree with Ryan. Yeah. And then I want to also ask about, I'm going back to something you previously said about like performance reviews. Yeah. yeah. So what are, taking that angle, what, what are some things that middle managers can do to kind of redefine that goal setting process or redefine that performance review process to add more meaning to what they're doing? And that could mean yeah. like when they sit down with the people that report to them or when they sit down yeah. with the people who they report to and kind of define what success looks like. What are some advice you give to people to kind of redefine that and, and get people engaged? Yeah. Two things, two powerful tools uh, I talk about in the, in the, my book, Leading from the Middle. Uh, two things. First of all, I want to talk, uh, talk to you guys about the three zones test. Mm -hmm. This is a really powerful way to set goals that I promise you you haven't heard about before. You know, there's a really standard stuff out there about how to set goals. But if you want to set goals that are meaningful, Try the three zones test. Here's what I mean. When you set goals for your employees, for yourself, for your team members, for a team, whatever, they should meet three zones, the comfort zone, the danger zone, and the twilight zone. I'll explain each one, okay? When you set the goal, it should push the person or the group out of their comfort zone, okay? The goal should be stretching enough that it's not so easy to achieve that no one even like it's just showing up for work, right? Push them out of their comfort zone, but don't go so far as to push them into their danger zone where the goal is so unrealistic that people feel like the only way to achieve this goal is to do unscrupulous things or to totally sacrifice my family life because the only way I can achieve this ridiculous goal, right? And a lot of managers that think like, I know what I'll do. I'll set an impossible goal. And if we only get halfway there, that's victory. I don't agree with that, right? Because you push people into the danger zone very quickly. And then the magic comes in the next part. And then the goal has to stand up to the twilight zone. And here's what I mean by that. Twilight zone, it's a wink to an old television show, an old American television show with Rod Serling. You guys know the show, uh, Twilight Zone? Yep, yeah. yep. 
What that means is when you set that goal, think about the employees that you're setting the goal for. When they are in the twilight of their career, will they look back on the time with you and the goal you set and say, that was a goal worth achieving. It meant something to me. Now that I'm in the twilight of my career and I'm winding down, I still remember that goal Tim and Colin sent for me. It was meaningful. It was worthy and worthwhile. I was proud to pursue it. I was proud to have achieved it. And it's that last zone that really crosses the filter over into meaning. Because guess what? A lot of people, oh, I got a great goal. You know what my goal is, Tim and Colin, for you guys next year for your business? I want you to grow your business 10%. Do you think any of your employees... 20 years from now, we'll look back and say, remember when we grew Tim and Collins' business 10%? (laughs) But what if you set a goal that said something like, all right, this year, I want you to become the best version of yourself. And I want you to learn something and become expert at something you've never done before as part of your personal goals for your personal development. You think 20 years from now, they would look back on it. Man, remember when Tim and Colin pushed me? And they, they, they encourage me to go out and take that guitar lesson. And now I get a chance to play guitar for friends and family at parties. That's kind of yeah. a wild example of a goal. It's a good example. Yeah. Going back to that's a goal worthy and worthwhile that you could, you could set for people. So the three zones test, comfort zone, danger zone, twilight zone. It's good. One other thing that I'll share, it's a very powerful tip uh, to your question of how to set goals in a meaningful way. You conduct what's called the good to great test. And it's very simple. Let's do a, let's do a test of this for you and right now, Tim and Colin. So in your guys' companies, in your endeavors and off the dome radio, what's name one vector of performance that's important to you guys? Like if you guys were going to evaluate each other, what would you evaluate each other on? Would it be um, how well you listened? Would it be the leadership potential you showed? Would it be the risk taking? Would it be priority setting, initiative follow through? Just name one vector to me that's important mm. to you guys in your business. And I'll show you where I'm going with this. Say like content created. Like yeah, I would say con- I would productivity. Say diversity of content created, like the, the uniqueness of what we're bringing to the show when, okay. when we're talking about our solo episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's, let's simplify. Let's just say, con- you know, content creation. Okay. okay. Now, what if in your annual all set, you guys went off and I, want, and I asked you to develop a good to great grid. And I said, on content creation. I want you guys to define what good looks like for content creation. And you guys would brainstorm, well, it has to be diverse. It has to be da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Now I want you to define what great content creation looks like. Well, wait a minute. Okay, that's different language. And what happens is when you push people to literally write down the difference between good and great, it creates and opens up such insight because what happens is it, it starts discussions between boss and subordinate, for example. Oh, boss. So that's what you mean by great leadership. Your definition was different than the one that I wrote down. Got it. Now I see what you mean by great. And see that it's based on an insight that most employees don't deliver great performance because they don't know what great looks like. So if you want to set meaningful goals and have people following expectations accordingly, be really clear on the difference of good and great. Literally write it down. Get everybody on the same page of what good and great looks like. And what's so powerful is when you can discern just what good is and what great is, then people also have their own individual learning plans. Because what happens is, oh, boss, I see. 
you think good leadership is this. You think great is that. I want to get to great. Now that I understand how you define great leadership, I'm going to need help getting there. I'm going to need training on, I'm making it up, you know, presentations. I'm going to need training on selling. I, you know, I, I freeze up when I'm in front of a customer. So if you can get me training on that, I think I can get to great, boom, just like that, you have personal goals that you could set relative to each individual. So, so try the good to great exercise. It's very, very powerful. That's, I feel like that's a great way to make it more objective as well. Yeah, and, and back to Tim's original, original question of middle managers doing that with employees and then their bosses doing that with them. I think that takes away a lot of work related stress in terms of your job or your report, because you now know the expectation. Right. And, and right. I think there's a lot of blind leading the blind or maybe not even blind. It's just, there's no understanding of, you know, the proper communication of, Oh, that's what you meant. There's no, Hey, you know what I'm saying? Yes or no. Oh, Hey, no, not really. Or yeah, I think I got it. And then you get blindsided by some bad review. So I, I think that's also a great way to manage expectations in and define what you want, how you want it. So then your employees are like, okay, everything is crystal clear. That's a great point. And just to build on that one quick stat for you, lest your listeners think, well, okay, dude, I hear you, but I'm clear on what I need to do with my boss. Like uh, my job is my job. I know what the, I know, I know what's expected of me in case if they're thinking that mm -hmm. check this out. We conducted research with well, not now where it's closer to 300, 350 boss subordinate pairs where we sat down with them and said, okay, we want you separately to define what your expectations are of each other. In over 80% of the cases, we found material breaches in understanding, misunderstanding of what the boss really expected from the subordinate mm -hmm. and vice versa. So if you think you're crystal clear with what's expected of you, Odds are you're really not. So it's really, really important to have that discussion with your boss and or, or your employees. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, and back the twilight zone. I think the twilight zone is fantastic. I can probably count on one hand when I was working in corporate America, the amount of jobs I felt really good about accomplishing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you still remember what the goal was and what. Yeah, you know, right. Maybe, so, maybe yeah. a definite two, and past that, I'm really reaching for straws. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that's a great. Uh, those three zones, I think, great framework um, to to use in middle management. Mm -hmm. And and you mentioned about I like to get into leading up, down, and across. Yep, Since we're best. really intertwined in in leading from the middle, what you mean by those things? Uh, ways that managers can do that well. And, and, you know, whether you're a manager or only leading up to answer to someone, how you can still do that in, in every level. Yeah, that sounds great. So, yeah. So what I'll do, I'll, I'll give you one tip for each real quick. So um, so what I mean by leading up, down and across, of course, is, you know, again, remember that the definition of a middle manager, it, 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 the odds are it's you or it's going to be you someday because it's if you have a boss and are a boss or you aspire to be a boss someday. You have to start thinking now about, you know, leading up the organization, which means leading your boss's thinking, uh, helping to change the direction of the company, where they're going, helping to, to make your job better, you, the, the delivery of what you have to do. You still have to manage your boss up the company, right? You still have to manage down, give your employees direction, the ones that are below you that are direct reports to you. 
and you still have to manage across because there's no job in which you can accomplish it by yourself in a silo. You're going to be part of a team and you have to influence across. So, so what I thought I would do is just give my one best tip for leading up, down, and across. The book is jammed with tons of advice on how to do it in all directions. But the question I get most, let's tackle up first, you know, leading with your boss. Tell me if you guys can, uh, can relate to this. Think back to the last time you were in corporate, Tim, right? Um, well, both of you, Tim and Colin. Think about the last time you had to disagree with your boss. Is your heart palpitating a little bit as you think about it? Most people would bit, say, a little bit. if they were in the moment, it's yeah. not a super pleasant thing to do. Yeah. And most people break down because let's face it, right? If you want to lead up, is your job to just to agree with everything, <laughs> everything you're told to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it? Is your job to just say yes and do it all? No. Your job is to use the talents you have and the insight you have to mold the opinions upward and disagreeing is a key part of it. And people always say, well, how do I do that? And how do I give my boss feedback while we're at it? So what I talk about in the book is kind of the three rules of disagreeing with your boss. First of all, respectful candor always. And those are two big words, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> respectful and candor, being brave to say it the way, the way you mean it. And I even find with every boss I ever had, we sat down and I said right up front, we need an agreement for candor. I need to know that it's okay for me to be candid with you. And I need you to know it's okay for you to be candid with me, even if the truth is, is hard. Second, you know, second, I guess, a piece of that is to discuss intent before content when you're going to disagree with your boss. And what I mean is rather than just, hey, you know what? I heard you, Tim. I don't think that's the way we should do it, dude. And here's why, right? <laughs> What happens? You can't, you can't help but feel like, okay, defensive. But if, what if I did this instead, Tim? Hey, Tim, remember when we discussed like, you know, our contract for candor? Uh, hey, I just want you to know that I, I, I think you're doing a great job, dude. I respect what you're doing in your position. Your job is tough. I'm here to make things easier for you. I have an idea on how we can do things maybe a little bit better. Here's what I want, right? So I just set up my intent that mm -hmm. I get who you are. I want to make things better. Now I'm going to give you the content of what I'm going to say. So intent before content, if you mm -hmm. want to disagree, is critical. It's absolutely critical and people you know, miss it. And then the third part of you know, disagreeing with your boss is avoiding judgment words, right? You can't use it like you, you know, screwed up. You can't, it can't be about how you would have done the job differently if you were in there. You just have to avoid judging and make it more observational. And when it comes to actually giving your boss feedback, you know, you got to confirm they're open to it, right? You got to proceed with bravery, always being direct honest and specific while at the same time being empathetic and at the same then knowing it's not the time for comparisons by the way never to say well you know what colin's boss does it this way or me as a boss i would do it this way never comparing so mm -hmm. few tips for leading up um thoughts or questions on that before i move to leading down I want to make sure that makes sense no that makes perfect sense i, I do have a quick one leading up yeah. um Say, you know, you don't get the perfect scenario and you have some feedback for your boss. You try to have the respectful candor and yep. it's the same result. You know, no, yep. nothing's changing. I, for example, I had a handful of times I went to one of my old bosses with, with a way to be more efficient with, you know, <laughs> when we pull this group and this group together to do the same thing every month, same report, no one is getting blindsided. 
and it, it never changed. And yep. it wasted a lot of extra time and resources when you're leading up, say that person up isn't jiving with you. <laughs> how, how do you how do you start to manage that when it's like, oh man, we can get X much more done, but my my bottleneck really is my boss up. That's a great question. I, I get I get into that in depth. In more time I could possibly answer here, I get into that <laughs> in depth in the book and leading me from the middle. I have a kind of a, a six-step managing up staircase that talks mm -hmm. about, you know, how do you start, what do you do? And what you're what you're talking about. Um, Colin is, you know, what, one of the first steps is what I call the nature before nurture step, which is first to understand the nature of the boss subordinate relationship before you try to nurture the relationship, mm. which is at the end of the day, you, know, you got to start by understanding a boss subordinate relationship is period over now. It is a two people interdependent, right? That are a, a two people that are um, interrelated and that depend on each other to advance an agenda. They must work with each other. So plain and simple that you can't do it without your boss and your boss can't do it without you. And the reason I start with that simple basic truth is that when people are experiencing what you were experiencing, Colleen, the first thing they'll, they'll do is assume, okay, I don't need my boss. I'm not getting anywhere with this. And it must be because he or she's stupid. They don't listen, they're a jerk. The, right, and they forget the basic nature of a boss-subordinate relationship. Is sometimes you're going to disagree. You're you're two human beings, but you're interdependent. You need each other, and so you have to cast aside first of all judgment of them. Respect at least the position, if you can't respect the person. Right? Because too many people jump to let me find out what's wrong with my boss personally, and then I'm going to use that as my reason to disengage with them. Mm. So in a situation where you keep getting the same result, where you're going to a boss, you start with okay. First of all, this is the nature of the relationship. And if you ever manage other people, someday you're going to get people that think you're the one that's not getting it. You're the one that's not changing it. It will happen to you if it hasn't. So understand that's the nature of it. Then all you can, you know, you can do in, in the amount of time, I'll try to be very brief here, but one of the simplest things you can do, Colin, is you just have to remember that there's more than one ways to go at this. All you can do is keep presenting your logic, your rationale, why the thing that you think is right, understand how your boss processes information. You might be presenting it in the wrong way. You might not be giving the right arguments. Just keep at it if you really think it's right, always being respectful, but candid about it and empathetic that they have a lot to do and a lot to worry about. You know, here comes Colin again. He wants to talk about his productivity tip. Just keep trying and pressing. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. You, mm -hmm. you know, you can only define yourself by what you think of yourself and your job and your role. You shouldn't let your boss define you. And I get into the book of how you can step back and manage difficult relationships too. But at the end of the day, you, you, there's only, if you're getting the same result, you can only do so much. And then you have to just kind of step back from it and say, I've done what I can do. I have to find ways to add value to the organization, organization and to my boss in other ways. Mm. It's a long way of saying, you know, you can't take it too personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, great explanation. That's it's, Clear. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Uh, so yeah, you, you were asking me about up, down and across, you know, on the downside, um, by far the biggest question that I get on this is the thing that most people, you know, uh, get hung up on when they have to manage employees is how to give feedback to employees. Giving feedback to a boss is one thing. That's very hard to do. Giving feedback to employees correctly 
is probably even more difficult. There's a whole universe of, you know, things that we could screw up. And, you know, one interesting study showed that, check this out, this, this crack. I, I, I didn't believe this finding, Tim and Colin. I had to actually call up a research buddy of mine to confirm it because I didn't believe it when I read it. And, but I did confirm it. Here's what we found. Check this out. In a study of 123 case studies where it was possible to follow after a boss gave employee feedback, how did the employee then perform? 120 case studies were done in that scenario. 123 case studies were done. <laughs> 85% of the time, it was determined that the feedback from the boss actually hurt the employee, Jeez. that they performed worse after the feedback, which is just a clear indication of how hard it is to give feedback. And we're not wired naturally to give feedback well, right? We're just not. We aren't. Mm -hmm. So what I talk about in the book, and I'll be very, very brief here, is the core rules of giving feedback. If you're going to give feedback to an employee, be specific, right? My grandpa used to say, white bread ain't nutritious. <laughs> He's right. You got to be granular, like think whole wheat bread, granular and specific in your feedback if you want to help. You got to be sincere. If it comes from the heart, it sticks in the mind. And by the mm -hmm. way, that means positive feedback, right? You guys ever gotten positive feedback from a boss. And it was literally just like, they were just saying what they had to say. They said it in front of a group of people and you felt no, no emotion. Mm -hmm. There was no personality to it. It was just something they were saying. Right. And it didn't feel sincere at all. Or if you get negative feedback and it doesn't feel like it's coming from a sincere place of, I want to help you get better. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. Right. So you got to be specific, sincere. You got to be um, calibrating, which means you got to let the employee know what the feedback means for them in the moment. Put it in the universe for them. So, you know, hey, Tim, we talked about this, man. You keep showing up to the podcast meetings drunk. And, uh, <laughs> you know, dude, like that's going to throw off your career. Or I just calibrated you. Or, hey, Tim, you keep showing up a little bit late to the podcast meetings. But, dude, that's all right. You know, at this stage of your life, you're so busy. It's not a big deal. You're good. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Just let's work on it together. I've just calibrated for you because guess what? If I don't calibrate, what do people do with feedback? They assume the worst mm -hmm. and they could spiral down. So you have to let them know, calibrate how serious that feedback is. You've been uh, holding out drinks on me, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's exactly Both right. What bottle you've been pouring? <laughs> that's right. Uh, a couple other things on feedback. You got to be proportionate. Studies show that um, the human mind needs five pieces of supportive feedback for every one piece of corrective. Mm. So if you're out there giving 20 pieces of supportive to one negative, that's not going to work because people are going to feel like you're too sunshiny and you're not being honest. If you're giving 20 pieces of negative to every one piece of positive, that ain't going to work because people aren't going to believe it the one time that you praise them. They're going right. to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Five to one is the right ratio. Um, you got to be timely, of course. After the fact, feedback is matter of fact feedback. People won't take it seriously. And you got to be tailored. And what I mean mm -hmm. by this is, you know, my experience has been there's three kinds of people in the world, guys. The kind of people who say, hey, boss, when you give me feedback, just tell it to me straight. Tear the Band-Aid off and just give me the bad news. You know, just, just give me the bad news right up front, right? That's me. Then there's people that say, you know, give me the sandwich, Give me love, then make it the hard stuff. Then give me some more love, the compliment sandwich, right? Mm -hmm. Then the third kind, 
for people who say they want the first, but they really want the second. <laughs> they really want the compliment sandwich. So be tailored. Know how your people like to receive that feedback and, you know, just and, and, uh, tailor your approach accordingly. And just avoid some of the big common faults of feedback. One of the biggest ones is um, backtracking. I, I did mm -hmm. this. I had to work on it, which is, Colin, we're, we're, we're doing your performance review. For the last 10 minutes, I've been telling you, Colin, you're just doing an amazing job. The podcast is growing. I mean, not only is it off the dome, it's off the hook. You guys are going, <laughs> listeners, people are reaching out hey. you to get on your show. You're doing a fantastic job, you know. Um, but I think you're showing up to, to the podcast drunk too often. And it's a really big problem. And then I go on for five minutes talking about what a problem it is, right? Mm -hmm. Then at the end, what do I do? Okay, so hey, anyways, you know, you're doing fine. Don't worry about it. I backtracked because yeah. I'm uncomfortable that I just challenged you. And what happens? You walk away confused. Yeah. Right. So you can't. And I'm like, am I, defla am I deflated or? <laughs> exactly. How should so, I feel? Yeah. You know, don't backtrack if you have a hard point to deliver, and uh, don't sugarcoat either. So, so that's uh, yeah. that's a, a great tip for leading down. Does that does that make sense, guys? Is that 100%. any? clarification on that right 100 percent. no i think okay and then leading across the best um, tool that i can give you um i heard uh, from another uh, speaker and author a long time ago to lead across this one's really quick and real simple if you think about it when you're leading across you want to influence people in a team that you probably have no direct authority over right you're a part of a cross-functional team perhaps and they don't report to you so how do you influence them well you remember the golden rule of influence that's what i call it which is simply this and let me ask you this, Tim and Cohen. Have you guys, can you think of anybody in your life that had a huge influence on you, but you didn't report to them in a relationship? They didn't have any formal authority over you. Is there anybody in your life that you could think of that, sure. that would, right? Probably we all have somebody like that. And for someone that influenced you in your, in your life, they had no formal authority over you. Studies show they would have done one of four things that made them so influential to you. They either... We're caring, listening, giving, or teaching. That's it. Or a combination of all of them. Mm -hmm. If they were caring, listening, giving, or teaching you something or you know, engaging in that way with you, they were incredibly influential over you. And guess what? They had no formal authority over you. So if you want to influence people around you that don't report to you, and this is true in life, not just in work. If you want to influence people over whom you have no formal reason to be influential to them. Care, listen, give, teach, and you'll have tremendous impact. Wow. I like those, especially teach. You know, a lot more people like to teach than we think. That's why mentors <laughs> love being mentors. They like to teach. That's the truth. Um, but yeah, we. it's funny you talk about the, the listen too, caring and listening. Tim and I, at one of our first like 30, 40 episodes, it was titled two ears, one mouth. And in that episode, we were talking about using them proportionally, you know, like uh, it probably came from how to win friends, influence people, but you know, we pull a lot from, from books, but you know, it's big just to listen. So I was like, Oh, they're actually listening to me. Not just hearing me say words. <laughs> that's, that, yeah. That, that speaks that's, mounds. That's right. And you have to work hard at it. Right. I, mm -hmm. On the listening front, I still use the, uh, the weight principle. You guys know the weight principle for listening. <laughs> it's a, all capitals, W-A-I-T. It's an acronym that uh, I use that, that stands for why am I talking <laughs> instead of listening? Yeah. I still use that. And I'm, I pride myself on being a listener and I still have to use that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes hand in hand with good question asking too. Because yeah, I, sure. I, I mean, whenever I meet with a potential client, I do like a consultation. We decide whether we want to do business together or not. I don't go into any of what I can do for them until I fully understand what their end goal with this is and where they're trying to yeah. go. And yes. it starts with, with asking like, what does an ideal outcome look like to you here? Like let them describe to you what they want. And then you, when you talk, you know why you're talking. It's for them. It's for that's what right. they just told you. So that's, that's so true. And Tim, are you one of those people that uh, if you're in a, in a discussion with somebody, you'll spend a lot more time asking questions than yeah. making statements? Yeah. I suspect you are. Yeah. Most good listeners are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, I, I enjoy, like I'm, I'm like you, the, the metric you asked us, what's a good metric that we can use to measure our show and good to great. I think it's the quality of questions that we have when we bring huh? guests that's on. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, we, we will bring guests on a lot of times who have been on other podcasts and that's good that we get someone who's, who's sought after, but we, we also don't want to turn it into something where they feel like it's a cookie cutter interview and we're asking the same question. <laughs> we're asking the same questions that other podcasts do. So sometimes I'll even do the research to listen to other podcasts they've been on and try to ask questions that, that they haven't heard before and actually get them to think and, and synthesize. So, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So Scott, I, I wanted to ask um, kind of maybe selfishly, not selfishly, some, some other questions we just did uh, and about your business too. I'm, I'm intrigued by how you're running your business and, and how you set that up. We had a conversation with a gal named Michelle Seiler Tucker. She builds and sells businesses, big yep. deals. And she was talking to Tim and I about processes, making sure you can, you have written processes, manuals, handbooks for scalability purposes. And I knew I would hate it, but when I started writing processes of the parts of the business, I really despise it. Um, (laughs) But I understand for scaling, other people need to know the business. She had a lady whose husband passed away, but everything was in his head. And so she couldn't do anything with the business. How have you gone about things like that with your business in terms of processes, um, having automated things to where you can step away more and more, kind of give away more of that control and focus on what really requires your attention, where your opportunity cost is the greatest? Yeah. Excellent question. Great for any entrepreneurs, especially anyone that wants to monetize their expertise. Because you soon learn, as I'm sure Tim and Colin, you you've seen, you know, here's a, a well-traveled statement. You know, you can't do it all yourself. You're you're gonna flame out if you try to do that. So uh, for me, there's two kind of core principles um, that I really really follow, and I bet you guys too. The first one is that I don't create a piece of content anymore that can't be used at least three other ways, hmm. and I now do parallel creation. So for example, and this is really, really important because you're talking about, you know, how do you institutionalize your processes? I now know that when I'm going to create a piece of content, I have this parallel process in mind. So I'm working on the book leading from the middle, right? We've been talking about that today. At the same time, I, as I'm writing the chapters for the books and doing the intense research for it, I'm developing a course or two to pull from it for LinkedIn learning. I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor that I'm going to pull from that. Nice. And in fact, I, I have a course coming out tomorrow on change management. It's a, all, it's straight from chapter eight of the book. 
I also have a keynote built and ready to go that pulls from the book. I also have probably 30 blog articles ready to go pulled from the book or subject matters of I know right where I want to go to pull content from mm -hmm. that book. And then I know that for those blogs, I can use them for guest blogging in other ways because I can take that extract of this piece of that blog and use it in a guest blog and on and on and on. And so for the first process that I follow for me, it always starts with a content that I know I want to focus on creating great content. That's why I'm here. It's my mission in life. It's how I build my business. It's how I live my influence and live my purpose. Everything else has to be secondary to creating great content. And now that this is not everybody's going to agree with this, guys. So many people say, okay, Scott, but you also have to sell that content. I deprioritize the selling process because for me, it's all about you start with the content and spread it out in multiple ways in a parallel path. That's the first part. And I really subscribe to kind of, you know, do you guys know the comedian Steve Martin at all? The, yep. He's, you're young enough. I didn't know. You know he's, a, he's, yeah. he's brilliant. He's a, gosh, he's a comedian, a musician, a world-class banjo player. He's a podcaster. He writes screenplays. He writes movies. He writes 16 different things he succeeded at. And somebody once asked him, how do you succeed at all of this stuff? Like, how do you do it? And he said, and I never forgot this, be so good they can't ignore you. Mm. That's his business model. And what is that, seven words? And I really took heart to that. So the way I can be so good that I can't be ignored is to focus on my content. And I find that sells itself. So a lot of other entrepreneurs worry about sales funnels and, well, I've got to, well, this has to lead to that and I got to have it. Okay, all that stuff works. I'm not knocking that aside. But what I've found is if my content is so good, for me in my business, I've still learned word of mouth is 85% of my business as a keynote speaker. Somebody sees me or they Google me, they hear about me, they see me give a virtual keynote, they bring me in live to do a keynote and they're like, man, this guy is good. Uh, you know what? I'm going to tell my husband about this guy. He's got to bring him into his company and on and on and on. And so I'm clear enough in my processes that it starts with content and content is king. I focus on that. Then I deprioritize the selling process, which not everybody's going to agree with. And then I deprioritize the other stuff that I'm not as good at. You know, I'm very, very lucky to have a business partner that um, handles contracts for me, handles booking me on shows, handles uh, billing, handles all the other things that for me, from a process standpoint, I'm not any good at. But I asked you know, her to create her own processes so she can replicate those. And so I replicate my content process and my book promotion process as well, which is another piece of this, you know, on the selling side, while I deprioritize it, you can't ignore it. So every time a book comes out, I have a standard process that I've written down on paper that I use because, you know, being in my third book now, I know what works to promote a book and what doesn't. And now I have a process. I pull out the same sheet every time and I just follow that process from a selling standpoint. So start to content. I really record the few things that work for me on selling and I really dish the rest of the stuff that I'm not good at to a, a business administrator and ask her to set up her own processes to make it easier for her. Right. Is that, is that what you're, uh, does that help? Yeah. 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 Cause uh, we both hit a point where it's, we know where we want to go. We know all the things of the business. We know every step, but 
it's it's all between our ears you know it, it can't no one else knows how to replicate it <laughs> That's right. and then when we want to try to scale so yeah i i'm grateful for that tidbit of advice and then i hate it at the same time because i'm writing these <laughs> 20 30 step processes to schedule a new patient or new client but it's um you know, it's the trench work that not everyone else sees that we have to do. So it, it yeah. frees you up to do the stuff you love. So it, for sure, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but appreciate your answer. It definitely helps uh, immensely. Absolutely. You bet. Uh, I want to ask, kind of going back, the, the pandemic, I, I want to ask you how you've been able to kind of pivot through that. Obviously, you've, you've probably been doing a lot more virtual speaking engagements. Has it, what's the biggest thing that you've had to change? You talked about the studio that you built. Like, is there anything that you've had to change? Like the way you like deliver information to people live. Like I remember last time we brought you on our show, you talked about like the different things you can do when you're on a stage um, to, to really hammer your point. Is there anything that you've had to adjust in your approach to delivering value to people through like virtual speaking events or anything from a wider range through the pandemic with your business? Yeah, I call it the TBD approach, not to be determined, um, because uh, it's a great question. Um, and rather than saying, you know, put my life on pause and saying TBD, what I'm going to do in the middle of this pandemic, I went a different way. TBD is an acronym I remind myself of. <coughs> Excuse me. First, the first T is technology, right? What, what am I going to do here? Like, I got to I got to deliver things virtually. That's the world we're at. And so I really started investing in understanding from a technology standpoint, what Dude, it began with like Googling, how, what lighting kit do I need? Yeah. <laughs> how do I get super fast internet? How do you set up a multiple camera interface? Blah, 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 blah. So technology was <laughs> I had to step up in a hurry because you're the, this yeah. guy ain't the most technologically savvy. B, TBD, B, basket, my basket of offerings. I had to expand it. So I said, okay, I, I was, uh, had a, have a great business on keynoting. It's my first love being uh, brought into keynote and, and writing as well. But I quickly expanded the basket of services that I offer. I now offer training because I'm finding in the middle of um, the pandemic, you know, while people might, might say, okay, I, you know, it's hard for us to get everybody together for you to deliver a virtual inspirational keynote. But, you know, we're not as interested in that right now. We'd rather have you do that live but our people still need training. Like that's not going to stop. Pandemic doesn't slow that down. So I've had to broaden my basket of offerings. So now I've built multiple trainings that I can do. I have a leadership training I can do based on the book, Leading from the Middle, to teach people how to lead up, down, and across, and workshops that go with that, and breakout groups, and um, a wide variety of services. I've gotten into courses. I now have uh, half a dozen courses you can take from me on LinkedIn Learning. I'm a LinkedIn Learning instructor on change, change management, how to be a leader in change, how to stay positive in the face of negativity, how to become a meaning-making leader. So expanding the basket is the second thing. And then the D in TBD is delivery. Uh, you know, delivering a virtual keynote is not the same thing as delivering a live keynote. And you can't just assume you're just going to do what you did with a live group because it doesn't work that way. So I, you know, without getting, it would take me a long time to explain, but there's arts, there's nuances of delivery and performance that make all the difference in the world when you're on Zoom, as opposed to when you're live and you have to bring those nuances into your, to your delivery. It has to be more interactive or if it's going to be one way, you have to use presenting skills, 
that are very different than live stage to engage a virtual audience. Mm -hmm. So I've really brushed up my delivery in a virtual world as well. Uh, it's a skill set that I'm always working on improving. So mm -hmm. TBD, that's how I got through it. <laughs> Excellent yeah. question. Mm -hmm. I am excited for when speaking engagements can be in person much more consistently ah, though. That's I can't where... lie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as much yeah. work as I've done to thrive in virtual, there's nothing like live. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, Scott, are there, are there some things that you implemented because of the pandemic that are now here to stay as an increase of your basket of offerings? Yeah. Like things that will kind of be permanently part of, you know, your business now, like, yeah. are you going to always offer a virtual something or another? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a great question. And absolutely. You know, that's why, you know, I, I think it's so important for people that have been suffering through the pandemic to, from a business perspective, now I'm talking to really step back and ask yourself, but how did it make you better? How were you able to evolve? And, you know, look, this last year has been terrible for so many people for so many reasons. And, you know, I got to tell you guys, I lost, you know, well over a dozen well-paid keynotes in three months when live events canceled. And I thought, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Like, what, what am I going to do? This is terrible. I can't get, I can't get my mission. I can't live my mission, right? What am I going to do? In retrospect, looking back now, setting aside the missed opportunity in those dozen keynotes, I'm better for it because all the services I've created are definitely to your, directly to your question, Colin. They're going to be a part of my platform moving forward. Now, if you go to my website, you know, all the training that I offer now, it's going to be there. The courses, it's going to be there. Breakouts that I now offer at conferences, uh, when conferences come back, that's going to be there. So I'm a more well-rounded service provider now because of this, because I was able to, uh, to pivot. Mm, excellent. Yeah, we, we've talked to a handful of entrepreneurs that they pivoted hard the, those lockdown months. Yep. And we were talking to one guy, he's franchised like a, a wellness clinic, but he's acupuncturist, massage therapy. He has physical therapists think like that type of, of movement and rehab and, and all the therapies. And he's turned that into a franchise, but they started doing, you know, using phones, SMS, like for their marketing oh, yeah. to gather where their clientele Smart. is really coming from. And so it's, it, yeah, it's fun to hear how people have really grabbed it by the horns and not just, you know, buckled up and hung on tight for dear life. They've gotten ahead of it really. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good, you know, it's a good life lesson. It's applicable in, in many, mm -hmm. many, many ways. And I don't, you know, boy, I hope knock on wood that, you know, we'll never go through a pandemic like this again in our lifetime, but I'll always remember what it taught me and about mm -hmm. the value of being flexible and adaptable. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, uh, what are some other things you're working on in your business? Uh, you got some, some favorite parts, some least favorite parts. What are you kind of improving right now and, uh, where are you taking it? Yeah, I, a lot of, uh, I would say right now, you know, a lot of focus is on making sure that the multiple years of work that has gone into leading from the middle is, you know, paying off in that it, the book gets into as many hands as I can possibly get it into because I know it's work that's going to uh, service the middle manager well. So my primary focus right now is on taking all the content in the book, uh, leading from the middle and propagating it and using it in different ways, training and courses and keynotes, virtual keynotes and live keynotes. And of course the book and book clubs and uh, 
so that's kind of job one. But I'm, uh, you know, in the middle of uh, writing still for my uh, leadership blog that you can find at scottmouts.com. And uh, I write an awful lot for that blog on leadership. And I'm still developing tons of courses for uh, LinkedIn Live. People can find me as an instructor on LinkedIn Live. And if you guys haven't tried that, it's a really powerful learning tool available through the LinkedIn platform. Yeah, so I'm I've developing courses it. for that. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. It's really. I didn't powerful. realize you're on there. I'm gonna look you up. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check me out. You'll see. Uh, I have like four new courses coming out in the next four or five months. I think. Okay. Awesome. Um, I also have, um, you know, I'm always working on the next book idea as well. Always honing my keynote speeches and always, uh, I have a personal coaching business too, where I coach entrepreneurs that are looking to do what I do, monetize their income. Mm -hmm. And I also coach people that are what I would call young executives, ones that want to move up the food chain. I don't do CEO uh, executive coaching because I find that to be exhausting. I like young people that are hungry and want to learn how to uh, be leaders uh, in, in a meaning making manner. So I also uh, have a one-on-one -on -one coaching business as well. So yeah, a lot of, lot of irons in the fire, all with a central goal of me trying to lead, you know, lead my mission as someone who wants to help people become a better version of themselves and to become filled with meaning in and at their work. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, Tim, any other questions for, for Scott today? I want to make sure we kind of get through everything and don't leave anything on the table. Yeah. Uh, quick question. It's more of an advice, personal advice for me question. I, I'm going to be a little selfish. Yeah, um, do it. So drinking I, on the job. You're asking yeah. questions. <laughs> Only you want to ask. Let's do all the things Tim wants to do. Uh, yeah. So Scott, I've been trying to figure out different ways to market my business. Uh, different channels of how to get my name out there and provide value to people. And one of the things that I've been tossing around is striking relationships with uh, like local universities or colleges of students who are about to graduate into the workforce and go like give like free workshops on like how to, how to prepare your resume or how to get ready for the interview, different stuff like that. What do you have any advice for me on the best way to like go about executing that, whether it's, building the relationship, whether it's framing it in a way, like you, got, you have any advice or insights on how I can do to like really execute that well. Absolutely. Perfect example. Perfect example. Next Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm teaching uh, classes um, at University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management. I teach at Indiana, but I have a friend who teaches at um, University of Minnesota and I'm going to be presenting to their uh, marketing students and um, first of all, because I love to teach and I'm going to bring maximum value to them. But it also gives me a chance at the end to just mention that, you know, hey, this book that I've got coming out might be of use to you. And it's a, a very powerful vehicle, and very powerful way to do it, especially for what you want to do, Tim, if you have one-on-one -on -one coaching. So, so it becomes a matter, you know, how do you get found to be able to do that? And, you know, I've found it's, it's always through, <clears throat> I'm going to go back to Steve Martin's advice, you know, be so good they can't ignore you. If you're really good at giving advice, and if you're really good at coaching people and writing, uh, helping people to write resumes, people are going to talk about it. And so I start with kind of the evergreen, just be really good at it. And then just start tapping into your network and just simply asking, who knows people that teach at universities that could, you know, you don't know until you ask. Right. And that simple, you know, as opposed to, for me, I stopped spending, and not everybody's going to agree with this. I stopped spending any money on social media, advertising outside of the very rare occasional, like I'll do a very small 
Facebook budget for my new book for leading from the middle. Other than that, you know, I, I don't do it because I depend on word of mouth. So it becomes all about how do I engage the word of mouth, which by the way, has such a high conversion rate relative to advertising dollars you spend on. How do I engage that word of mouth and tap into my network and just let people know you got to hang your sign up, Tim, you got to let people know I'm in the business of wanting to coach kids on writing their resumes can you guys connect me up with people that teach at universities? And you'll be, you'll be surprised the friend of a friend that can get you connected in with these, you know, these types of opportunities. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. So Scott, um, any, anything else that you want to dive into that maybe we haven't touched some other uh, valuable tidbits you want to make sure that we, we cover, give to our audience uh, or anything else from the book that you want to make sure we touch as well. Yeah, the, the only other thing, um, I'll just say two things. You know, thanks, Tim and Colin, for having me on. Because you mentioned productivity before. One of the big questions I get from middle managers are, well, okay, duh, right? Here's Captain Obvious. I am so busy. Oh, my <laughs> God. In the middle, I am so busy. I can't breathe. Do you have a simple rule I can follow? Anything to help me. And I always tell people that feel inundated and overwhelmed to practice the 50-50 rule when things get really crazy. And it's, I think it's really powerful. I still use it which is in times of chaos, focus 50% of your time and your energy on pragmatism, 50% on possibility. 50 plus 50 equals 100, which means you have zero time left to do anything other than pragmatism and possibility. And what that does is it's very simplifying. It says, okay, I know things are crazy. Pragmatically, what's most important for me to do right now? These five things, great. Possibility. What are the possibilities that I see here in all this chaos and where people really miss a chance to shine in the middle of an organization or in general is in chaos. They just get into do list mode and they might be very good at the pragmatic part, right? Okay. Pragmatically, this is what I need to do, but they forget the possibility part that in chaos and in crazy times, you also stand above your peers. When you recognize what does that crazy time tell you in terms of possibility? What possibilities have now presented themselves in the midst of this chaos that I could take advantage of? And if you're focused on those two things, it provides great clarity in the world, I think, for people that are, can be overwhelmed. Um, I also tell people that here's a guiding light for you. If you want to be a great middle manager or a great leader in general, just remember the golden question, which is simply this. Are you assisting success or avoiding failure? You're doing one or the other. And they lead to very different behaviors. If as a leader, you're assisting success, think about what that behavior looks like. You're delegating. You're looking around corners to anticipate problems. You're empowering your people. You're fighting for resources. What does it look like when you're avoiding failure? You're micromanaging. You're over-inspecting. You're asking for data and every single point to cover off every possibility because you're secretly insecure. You're engaged in a totally different type of behavior. So I encourage people to always ask themselves the golden question. Are you assisting success or avoiding failure? And the odds are you're not even without realizing it, you're engaged in at least one or two avoiding failure behaviors and you want to avoid that as a middle manager and as, as a leader in general. Uh, finally, you know, I just want to thank you guys again for the opportunity. I want all your listeners to get all the tools that they can. So yes, yes, of course. I want them to go to, you know, uh, Amazon and search Scott Mautz, M-A-U-T-Z, and Leading from the Middle, and buy the book on Amazon because I'm very, very proud of the work that's gone into it. 
It's already gone to number one on Amazon's uh, bestseller list for management science. Um, Dan Pink has jumped on board and called it a, you know, an unmet need. Um, so I'm very proud of that. But if you also want some free tools, you can go to scottmouts.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com slash free tools. No space in between that. scottmouts.com slash free tools. And I put together a bundle uh, for the listeners of Off the Dome Radio. Uh, and awesome. you'll get uh, a free workbook that goes along with leading from the middle if they're interested. And then a whole host of free tools to help you become a better leader from the middle and from anywhere in an organization, uh, no matter what it is that you do for a living. So scottmouts.com slash free tools. Uh, and you can look for my book, Leading from the Middle. That's, that's awesome. We really appreciate it. I know listeners are going to appreciate it. Um, you know, we always have just a great time chopping it up with you. I'm glad we got to do a round two and I'm sure this won't be the last time that, that we run one of these. Um, Cause it's always insightful getting to, getting to talk with you, Scott, uh, what you've built and, and kind of how you've paved your path, your experiences. So we appreciate your, your storytelling and uh, you know, it's, it's stuff we refer to our old episode of, you know, well, Scott talked about this and that. So we definitely still look to advice you've given us and to our listeners. So we appreciate your time today for sure. Um, I know we've we've done it before, but in case things have changed over the last year, scope has changed uh, how you've gone about things. But as always, we ask everyone how they want to be remembered uh, kind of before we cap off the show. Yeah, that's uh, for me, it's really simple is I'm that dude that helped me become a better version of myself. That's how I want to be remembered. All right. Short and sweet. I love it. Expect the hell out of that. (laughs) Valuable. Yep. All right. Thank Scott. you again. Yeah, we appreciate you. And, and you know, we'll send, um, I think this should air in what, three weeks, two or three weeks, two or three weeks. Two yeah. or three weeks. And, and we'll send you kind of like last time, the final episode for your approval. And we'll link everything in the show notes too. So your website, social medias, we link everything as well for people. And uh, when we do the intro, we'll reiterate the, the tools that you've generously given everybody. So um, yeah, we're going to cover the basis. And uh, thank you again, man. We really appreciate you. Really appreciate you guys. I got to uh, run for an 1130. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you, Scott. Be good.